Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Have you ever wondered what makes someone's voice sound powerful? And maybe, you know, how you can get in on some of that power too? Well, today I'm going to sit down with the author of Permission to Speak, a game-changing guide to changing what power sounds like. Please welcome my guest, Samara Bay. Hi. Hi, Samara. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm so glad to see you. Cheers. 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 Alice in Wonderland, cheers. Yes. Um, such an interesting topic for your book. And I know you've been working on this for a long time. I've get kind of been fortunate enough to have privy to seeing it on the very beginning mm. when it was starting as a podcast. And now you've got the book. It's published. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous cover by the Thank way. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm I'm so excited to just dive in and have a conversation with you about it. My first question, I'm just wondering, what is the story of your voice? I mean, my first thought that came through my head is like this existential, what is the story of any of our voices? We can tell a lot of stories about our voices, which yeah. actually is I think part of the point, because as with everything, as we think about our money story or our body story, which stories we choose end up determining whether we feel powerful or not. Yeah. So, for example, a story that I tell in the book that in a way was the origin story for this book, but I didn't know it, <laughs> it's a benefit of hindsight, is that uh, in my early 20s, I lost my voice and I wasn't sick. And it was many months and it was more and more and more painful. And I got misdiagnosed as, um, what's it called? Laryngitis? Um, no, because there was no other, um, you know, symptoms. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't even remember what it's called. When um, acid reflux. Oh, mm -hmm. and I was like, that doesn't feel like it. And I took like, whatever, they gave me the drugs. Like it was such a <laughs> wrong course, but I just kept trying to sort of live through it. And I was in a graduate acting program. So like I had to talk and I eventually stopped and I dropped out of the play and I stopped singing and, you know, I stopped talking and people stopped paying attention to me because when you yeah. don't talk, they don't expect anything from you. And like this whole new personality came out that was unpleasant, quite honestly. And when I finally went to a speech you know, ear, nose, and throat doctor uh -huh. who could help me with figuring out like the photo of my vocal cords and what was going on, which looks pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I was going to say pervy. <laughs> I, yes, 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 pervy. If you want to look at it through that lens, but also a bit like a horror movie. Yeah. Like there's just some, it's like a, it's like an alien yeah. uh, that lives inside of us. And in my case was trying to tell me something, but I didn't know what. Uh -huh. And I learned so many things through that experience. But part of what I learned was that the fix for getting rid of those vocal nodules, which is what it turned out I had, was easier, mm -hmm. took like a month, he was going to a speech pathologist, was easier than working through the psychological part of why I might have done this to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that has ended up being, you know, something that connects me to my readers, but also just to like everybody I've ever coached, because all of us have a messy relationship to our voice. Why did I speak habitually a tiny bit too low, which ultimately became vocal nodules? Well, mm -hmm. we can guess. My guess mm -hmm. is that at some point in maybe high school, maybe college, I made the calculation, but like below the level of conscious thought. Yeah. That I came across as really warm and smiley and friendly 
maybe girly. And that if I dropped my voice down a little bit, it would cut that. I would come across as a little more in the know, in on the joke. Don't mess with me. Professional. And it worked, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know about professional because I think this was even in high school. Mm -hmm. But like that sense of, yeah, of I'm tough, even if I don't look it was a performance I clearly put on that then felt authentic, but literally left me without a voice eventually. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like I can really relate to that. Growing up, I always thought I was an alto Uh (laughs) because I would speak Mm -hmm. with a stronger sort of lower voice than some of my peers, only to come to find out I'm actually a (laughs) mezzo-soprano. I'm a top soprano. So similarly, I know. And everybody's like, no, you've got to be an alto because this voice of yours. Uh And back when I was acting, it was also a lot of like, oh, you'll grow into your types of roles because right now your voice doesn't match your look. And no one knew what to do with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, these are, we've, all of us have these complicated relationships to like how we present in the world, how people perceive us. You know, I, I like to connect all of this back to my fair lady Uh (laughs) because, you know, it's this lovely old timey musical about basically a girl who is lower class, who sounds lower class, and a guy who decides to take her on as a social experiment. Oh my God, we do If we raise her (laughs) class, if we make her sound fancier, does her life open up? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, watching this at like seven, obviously wouldn't have described it like I just did, but the the lesson in there of how we talk affects how we get treated, Mm -hmm. you know. We have kids that age. They're picking up on stuff. That's a lesson you learn. And then even if it's not totally conscious, you start to experiment. Hmm, If I talk like this, people turn towards me instead of away from me. Mm -hmm. If I talk like this, people take me more seriously. If I talk like this, they think I'm really nice. (laughs) Right? We're all making those calculations. Linguists talk about this a lot, the little sort of micro calculations that we make, Mm -hmm. adjustments. Yeah, throughout the day even. Throughout the day even. Hi, can I get... Exactly. The Starbucks voice. Um, I'm so sorry. Would it just be possible (laughs) to refill the oat milk? Exactly. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a pitch that reflects the concept of nice Uh and works. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. Hey, can I get some more oat milk? Exactly. (laughs) Right. The same. It's true. I mean, experiment, you know, but yeah, when we do that, we will possibly seem difficult. Now you, you got your graduate's degree in acting and you've been a speech and dialect coach. How did you get from gaining all that knowledge and and working in that field to then deciding you're going to author a book about power? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was a process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have so many years of experience coaching actors on accents and Mm -hmm. on, you know, learning a specific accent for a role. Or if English is their second language, doing something in the world of general America Uh and introducing sounds that they just didn't grow up with, really, into their mouths. And pizza. Pizza. Yeah, but... Hamburger. <laughs> right. <laughs> McDonald's. That's they know global, all those. They know all those. Yeah. Yeah. They're telling me how to yeah. pronounce that. I mean, there's a few ways to answer that because it really happened over many years. But uh, there's two things I'll say. One is I was aware, even when I was just straight coaching actors, that the conversations we were having offset in their trailers or mm-hmm. at dining room tables beforehand were always more interesting than just sub out this sound, sub in this sound. (laughs) They were always about, first of all, what story are we telling with this character? Mm -hmm. What are we saying about their experience, their history up to this moment, but also their sense of aspiration because that plays out in our voice. Mm -hmm. 
But then we were also talking about them, the actual actor there. They would have, you know, a press junket or a talk at the UN. And they'd be like, how do I sound like myself? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, how do we sound like ourselves when all eyes are on us and the camera's on and we are feeling like a scaled up version of us? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I realized once I got involved with coaching women who were running for office for the 2018 midterms, which was a real moment of, you know, me experimenting with, is this something that applies outside of the acting world? I realized that for all of us, for actors, I was helping them sound like a character authentically, even when the cameras are like right here, you know, but for humans... Yeah, yeah. I was helping them sound like themselves Mm -hmm. authentically, even when all eyes are on them, which is when all of our latent drama Mm -hmm. around our own voice story tends to come out and play and give us physical story too. Well, both. But the result is what you just did, which is that in many ways we try to figure out how to hide Mm. either what we're either literally Mm -hmm. physically trying to have no facial expression or vocally trying to shave off the weird parts of ourselves. Maybe we know we have an accent that isn't standard. Maybe Mm -hmm. we know that we are going to get emotional when we talk about this. So we do everything we can to sound like we have absolutely no emotional connection to it at all, (laughs) which is like a great defense mechanism to hide, to be safe. But it sucks for impact. And even as acting, like I'm thinking specifically voice acting, as the note is like become more and more conversational, those of us that have trained in the theater and no breath support, and that's become second nature and that's almost become natural, are oftentimes at a disadvantage because they want that quirk. And if you've spent 10 years trying to shave off the weirdness of your voice, it's like it's hard to figure out how to get it back and sound you know, conversational, whatever that means. Yeah. And what does it mean? And like, does it mean going off your voice and having all of the, you know, habitual stuff come out? Mm -hmm. And is that now, I mean, it's such a great question in your line of work because it's a different frame on it than a lot of people have. You know, a lot of us are talking about how we let those quirks go. For example, vocal fry and upspeak go because they are excellent tools, but they are in certain ways tools to play small, to say, I care about this, but like not really, so whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if we are thinking about how we show up in our biggest moments where we can talk about what's close to our heart, this is our opportunity to take that deep breath and to say, this is what I care about. And I'm going to actually give it to you without taking it back at the end. Mm. But what you're talking about is this intimacy at the mic, where actually that's not necessarily the goal, that like extremely well-supported version of ourselves. Yes. And And there's there's this end client and their biases and their quirks that you're playing to. I mean, that's part of acting in general. It's like, yes. How do I get the job that they want me to, you know, how should I show up like they want me to? And part of it is generational, too. Well, we see, like, the commercials that we grew up in, there would never be upspeak. You wouldn't be, like, I'm looking around for, like, a brand that's, like, you know, um, permission to speak. You know, like, you wouldn't be, like, permission to speak. You'd be, like, permission to speak. Like, you would always have to land that. Now, as we move into, like, a more conversational sound, maybe we kind of throw it away a bit more and we don't have to end everything on a downbeat or... But if the client is somebody from a different generation, maybe that's something that really bothers them. Or maybe if they don't hear that and it always is ending, it just sounds too polished, which is sort of like a no-no these days. It's very interesting because you're coming at it from many different ways of 
levels of professionalism levels. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Well, and it's, yeah, and particularly the conversations I'm having so much more lately are in the business world and Mm. in the political world and just in leadership in general, which obviously can cut across any industry, but what what it feels like to sort of begin to step into some kind of a leadership role, whether it's an actual title or just a feeling, yeah. right? A feeling of having more power. And what you're talking about in this, you know, sub-industry <laughs> of the voice has to stand alone to tell the whole story yeah. is that there's a different, you know, goal set there. I mean, you're not, it's not always a character that's trying to sound like the most leader version of themselves. Right. If it's your best friend talking to you about their cell phone carrier. Which is really like, I mean, our off the clock voice. Yeah. I am not here. My book is not about what happens behind closed doors in private scenarios with your besties. <laughs> like, I would love us to feel like we, no one should be policing themselves or yeah. thinking about, you know, some way to do that better unless it's not working. If, unless there's like an actual connection rift with mm-hmm. your friends or something. But what I'm particularly interested in is this idea of public speaking. Yeah especially for women, for people of color, for people for whom literally the public was not built Mm -hmm. and what it is for all of us in 2023 to be like, but what if it were, what if it were built for me? How would that affect how I breathe in this space? How would that affect what version of me feels totally free to show up? Mm -hmm. And maybe it is a version of me that's more similar to my, how I am around my friends, which then opens up a whole new can of worms. So, okay, maybe that is your public speaking voice. And maybe the public will just have to Adapt. Well, this is the question, right? (laughs) Right, Because the public is full of people and people have biases and we are some of those people. Yes, 100%. So, of course, we can say, you know, the powers that be and the oldest possible generation out there is stuck in their ways. But we can also say, what ways are we accidentally reinforcing Mm -hmm. value systems we don't even believe in by deciding who to take seriously and who not, you know? So how do you start working with a speech client? Um, if someone is coming to you, they maybe are presenting at their company or have a talk to give publicly, a TEDx or something like that. How do you approach working with a client like that? I ask them a lot of questions so I see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm basically never product oriented in terms of like, do this stand like this? This is what it should look like uh, at the end. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm always, I mean, my big gamble really, and the reason I think I sold this book is that the history of public speaking is super masculine, mm-hmm. but it's also super fear-based. It's very much show up as stoically as possible without revealing anything vulnerable for the possibility that no one will laugh at you or throw you out of the tribe. (laughs) And this is on some level what is taught over and over and over in executive presence coaching class. I mean, bless. No one's doing it on purpose. But the idea of saying keep your voice low if you want to get taken seriously. Yeah. Don't use any up and down sing-songiness or you'll seem unhinged. Don't have a, a bursts of emotional, you know, mm. availability that will read as crazy. Received all these messages. And what they're all saying is, or else, right? You'll lose all credibility. And because I come from the acting world and not the public speaking world, I'm like, can we just call BS on that entire framework because what makes us fall in love with somebody on camera or in real life is when they reveal humanity humanity and humanity has nothing to do with what pitch you speak at 
Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with not trying to hide and police yourself mm-hmm. and showing up as the version of yourself that cares out loud, mm. which is so fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's the actual work. I mean, you know, you asked me how I start working with somebody. Mm-hmm. I ask them a lot about what their own relationship is to public speaking and power. I don't usually frame it like that because that sounds like, well, I don't know what's my relationship. <laughs> but, you know, what are they worried about? That kind of stuff. But from that, I can start to see things. You, I can start to see, you know, what's really getting in their way. And often it's two connected things. One, shoulds. Mm. A whole history of shoulds, either from their corporate environment or from their second grade teacher. I mean, this stuff starts early. Yeah. Right? I know that I'm a person who, and then they say some not true thing that has become a part of their identity because someone said it to them. 35 years ago. And I get to reflect that back to them and be like, I wonder if that's actually something you've outgrown. So one is shoulds that are rattling around up Mm -hmm, there. They mm -hmm. don't even know we're shoulds Mm -hmm. until I sort of can help them tease that out. And two, relatedly, is an absence of joy. Mm -hmm. And you know, talking about joy in a work context is some just sometimes feels silly or inappropriate. But the reality is joy doesn't have to mean like, you know, effusive happiness. But it can if you want it but to. But it can. <laughs> but it, but it, there's something I think for me in the use of the word joy or another <laughs> one that I like a lot is mischief uh, that feels like in alignment with oneself. When you're mischievous, yeah. you are both a little joyful and a little rule breaking. Mm. And that requires that you be in yourself, that you know what rules you want to break. Oh, yeah. And that there's a little something, you know, I call inner squirrely when you're like, right? When you're like, this is um, something that brings me a little, you know, a little joy. And it doesn't have to bring anyone else. And Mm. that's also part of it is being like, well, what's your thing? What's your thing that you're allowed to just like? or care about, or love. And this line of questioning is just so scary for people, but it is the beginning of them showing up instead of hiding. I feel like just even thinking the word mischief seems so much more effective as opposed to like picture the audience in their underwear. Right? I mean, there's so many, which is also Which, also which is also cute. It's a, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think it actually may be I mean, one of the goals. It depends. <laughs> but yeah, certainly rather than like only use your hands to gesture intentionally. Yeah. yeah. Versus bring a little mischief into the room. They're just such completely different styles mm-hmm. of coaching. And I feel like my job, my responsibility, quite honestly, is to be that voice who says bring some mischief into the room. Partly because, you know, we've all actually got a rebellious spirit. It's just a question of, you know, how much it's like been tamped down. Uh, yeah. But partly because it works. I mean, bringing joy, bringing some element of delight or pleasure or twinkle in the eye in even for my most serious client who's in the most serious industry, they get that. Mm. And there's something that it unlocks. And I think actually, now that I say that out loud, the something is permission. Boom. Right. I mean, (laughs) but that's what it is. Because what is permission? I actually don't define it in the entire book. I realized afterwards (laughs) it's what you want it to be. But no, I mean, permission is a feeling of freedom. Yes. It's a feeling of inviting yourself into a space like you actually are, like Mm -hmm. the version of you that you actually like. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've naturally always had that or has it been a journey for you? I think it's been a journey. It's partly why my brain fritzed when you asked my very first question about my voice, Mm -hmm. because I have lots of, I mean, we all, I think have lots of eras, but I've been, you know, 
because of my book topic, very specifically thinking about a lot of those eras. I think I had a huge amount of freedom growing up. Mm-hmm. I think this thing happened with that turned into the, the vocal nodules mm-hmm. and was a real wake-up call around not all habits are created equal. And then the learning to talk again. You know, the learning to get over grad school, which really was not just because of the vocal nodules, but epitomized by that, a dark and sad and cold time. Mm. I mean, I was also in Providence, Rhode Island, so I'm talking about literal cold. cold. Um, But also, you know, MFA acting programs are just tough. And my classmates were all individually Mm. fine, but we just didn't gel. Mm. And I felt so lonely. And I had very few resources, actually, for Mm. how to deal with that because I had a kind of a lot of luck before that in terms Mm. of friend groups. And then coming out of that and being an actor, obviously there was a whole era in my 20s of I'll be whatever you want me to be (laughs) that didn't help much for, you know, recovering into some really authentic version of myself. And then I think I'll say the last big chunk of it is that in the last few years, especially in the selling of this book, Mm. I have come into a version of myself that is both mischievous and playful and maybe some version of my childhood self with something that feels powerful. And, you know, it's a weird word to use, right? Many of us avoid it. We say influential or I don't know. Yeah. But for me, power, I love the definition that Amy Cuddy gives that I talk about in the book. And this is very common in like the social psychology world I've discovered. But power over is the kind of power we often are talking about. Power over people, Mm -hmm. over resources, over assets. Power over. It's very masculine coded. And then power to is this completely different thing. Power to make decisions for yourself. Power to make decisions for your own body, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're fighting against, with we're fighting for. And power to love who you love, power to, power to, power to. It's such a different thing. It, then it's not about, it's not a zero-sum game, yeah, right? It's not about having power so someone else has less. It's about like digging into what about yourself mm-hmm. you love and or, if that feels too heavy, what your values are and how you like show up with them. To empower. To empower. (laughs) So uh, with that in mind, I do feel like um, selling this book and having this incredible gauntlet of 14 different publishers fighting for it, wanting to, you know, I pitched them and then there was this bidding war and over and over they were calling me a thought leader. And I was like, you know, there was definitely a little cynical part of me that was like, all right. If everybody's calling everyone a thought later these days. Mm-hmm. And then there was this other part of me that was like, hold on. Mm-hmm. That was coaching me really. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, if I just throw that away with an eye roll, yeah. I am not actually accepting the invitation inside of that, which mm-hmm. is available to all of us, mm-hmm. which is if we're a thought leader, how much more do we respect our own thoughts? Yeah. And, you know, it's like we come from a similar friend circle where, you know, this belief, this thought, this idea of empowering women, empowering culture, empowering people of color, you know, as we all rise together and supporting in each other, and you are giving voice to that movement, articulating and spending the time to write the book, which is the vehicle, the vessel for these thoughts. I so, mean, it's so, it's so not about me. a leader, right? Oh, that's yes, true. Exactly. That's right. Like, I love that. I love that version of it. I love that version of it. I'll accept that. You're driving. <clears throat> it's true. I mean, you know, I, I'll say, I'll get real, real. I think part of my own resistance to that term, besides the fact that like, as with influencer, it's just, you know, it does get thrown around all the time. <laughs> but I think my own resistance is that I am in an interesting position right now in my career that I am and totally own that I'm an expert. Mm. And what I'm actually all about 
Here is decolonized public speaking. Mm. And the decolonization process is about the all of us of it, right? I mean, a hierarchical system where there's an expert and everyone else follows is already part of a problem. So part of my goal here is to flex my expertise to the extent that I have it. And then also to help my clients, my readers, my friends Mm -hmm. claim the aspects of their voice that are theirs, that's been theirs all along, their own expertise about their own voice and about their story, their voice story. I mean, that part, right? We own all of our stories, all of our own, you know, both the physical, like, plot-based past of our Mm -hmm. life and how it intersected with our our voice, but also our myths and, you know, good and bad beliefs about our voice and all that stuff. Yeah, the full full picture. Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.alisonpacker.com. See you next week.